for the last four weeks, we've been observing Advent. And that means that today, rather than Christmas being over, it means that it's the first Sunday of celebrating Christmas. So as Christians, we, we get the perk of celebrating a couple of weeks longer when everyone else sort of has to go back to the normal routine, normal life, and sort of gets the Christmas, the after Christmas blues. Our party's just getting started. So if you get the blues, like Elvis, <clears throat> you can keep celebrating and keep your tree up. You can keep eating cookies and keep celebrating Christmas. But, but more than those things, you are invited and encouraged to keep celebrating Jesus and the real reason for Christmas. So Advent has been this time of anticipation of celebrating Christmas. We, we spend a month recognizing the longing within people and within creation for some type of hope, some glimmer of, of relief and joy that we can have. And then finally, when we get to Christmas, it's, it's the appropriate time to celebrate that and to remember the good news that comes with the birth of Jesus. Uh, for me, it can be a challenge to push through all the other holiday stuff that goes on and remember this truth. So I assume I'm probably not alone in, in getting caught up in all of that and having difficulty remembering the real reason for Christmas. But it is good and appropriate here in this space at this time to leave aside all of the other things that grab at our attention, grab at our stress, grab at our wallets, and remember what Christmas is about and what it has been about before shopping and Black Friday and Home Alone and Charles Dickens, before all of that existed, what Christmas is actually truly about, and that is Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus, and it is about the God of the Bible. So I'm going to read from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I believe it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read two different passages, one from the first chapter and then one from the second chapter. It'll be a little lengthy, um, but let's hear from God's Word. Oh, this starts out in the sixth month. That's referring to the sixth month of Mary's cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, not the sixth month of the year. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now I'll jump over to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everybody went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, a time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the guest room. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. O Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading of your word? Would you teach us about you, about your son, about your character and your love for us? Would you make us attentive to hear your voice this morning and shape us through your word to follow you more deeply, to love you with all our hearts, and to love our neighbors as ourselves? Have your way with us, O God. Have your will in our lives. We love you. Amen. Just as a side note, if someone's not familiar with the word manger that refers to a feeding trough for animals, 
I don't know if we still have majors today. Maybe the Dukes could tell us, because I think they do form stuff. <laughs> so, after Jesus was born and placed in the manger by his mother, Luke describes this scene about shepherds. And it's on these shepherds that I want to focus with the sermon. The shepherds in the story are usually seen by us, I think, as sort of cute but random uh, additions to this story. Uh, They make nice figurines for our nativity scenes, and uh, they give extra roles for Christmas plays for our our kids to be shepherds. Uh, But besides that, it's just sort of, wasn't that curious, there's some shepherds there. But the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 are not just random bystanders or random people who were there and the angels decided to choose them to talk to. These angels hold a particular role. It's very important, and it helps us understand the meaning of this short little narrative about a baby being born. During this time in history, there was a particular flock of sheep that pastured in the area near Bethlehem, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. We have uh, ancient Jewish records that talk about that near Bethlehem, there was a particular flock of sheep that was raised for the singular purpose of eventually being sacrifices in the nearby temple in Jerusalem. According to the law of Moses given in the Old Testament, any sheep or lambs that were offered as sacrifices had to be perfect, uh, spotless. They couldn't be crippled or sick or mangy or diseased or anything. They had to be healthy, pure lambs. And this special flock is the flock present near Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2, and the shepherds who guard this flock are the shepherds that the angels appear to whom God allows to see the newborn Messiah first. So what does this have to do with Christmas? Glad you asked. Because a few verses before this, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is celebrating the birth of his son. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies this. This is Luke 1, 76 and following. Speaking about his son, John the Baptist, he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The Lord here, before whom John the Baptist will go, is this baby lying in this animal's feeding trough in Luke chapter 2. And Zechariah said that his son, John the Baptist, would give people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sins. And if you fast forward 30 years to when John the Baptist is an adult and he's preaching in Judea and baptizing people in the Jordan River, the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 29 says, 
The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the significance of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. The shepherds near Bethlehem had the job of raising and caring for the flock of sheep that would eventually be the atoning sacrifices in the temple to afford people the forgiveness of sins. The sheep are what we call types or foreshadows. God did things in the Old Testament to point towards what he was going to do when Jesus eventually came. And these sheep were pointing towards the time when God would make atonement for people's sins. And then he sends these angels to these very shepherds and says, the Lord, a Savior is born this day, and they get to go see them first. Jesus, according to John the Baptist, is the true lamb, better than any animal, better than any sheep, who takes away the sins of the world. He's the lamb of God, not not a literal sheep, but the promised Savior who fulfills what the sheep were foreshadowing. Then in addition to the shepherds themselves, we have all the angels who come and make this announcement to them. This scene in Luke 2 is the most glorious and spectacular appearance of angels on earth as recorded in the Bible. There there are other occasions with glorious heavenly scenes, but those, those take place in heaven. But in the Bible, usually when angels come to earth, there's maybe one or two and they come and give a a piece of direction, and then they leave. But here in Luke, you have this scene where the sky is lit up with heavenly glory, and it says multitudes of angels are present, and the shepherds see the glory all around them. So what could possibly bring the greatest presentation of heavenly hosts to earth? Nothing other than the birth of the Savior Jesus Christ the Lord, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is important to grasp because we may recognize that Christmas is about Jesus, but I, and I think many people will admit that. I mean, if you write the word Christmas, you have to write the word Christ before you complete the word, so it's kind of hard to avoid that. But what makes that significant, what makes it important that it's about Jesus The reason I'm asking this question is because today in our culture, Jesus is sort of a cool figure. Uh, it's, It's fine to talk about Jesus. I mean, I guess you can even admit that Christmas has something to do with him. I think about the um the Doobie Brothers have a cover of that song, Jesus is just all right with me, that you can hear on classic rock radio. And it's fine to talk about Jesus as some sort of cultural you know, wise guru who wants to help us expand our consciousness, or maybe he was a peace-loving, motivational speaker who taught tolerance and pacifism. No. The hosts of heaven do not come in the grandest display in history to announce a motivational pacifist speaker. And they don't come to announce the birth of some sort of guru or wise person who comes and gives pearls of advice. The heavenly hosts of God come 
and announce the birth of the Son of God, the perfect spotless Lamb, the Lord of the entire world, who will come and live His life, reveal God the Father to us, and then willingly die in our place on the cross in order to obtain forgiveness of sins for sinful human beings. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. This newborn baby lying in a manger may not have a place in a guest room. He might not have an actual bed. He might have to sleep where animals are. But the glorious hosts of heaven come with praise and exaltation and, and recognition of God, and they hail his birth as something that has never happened before in the history of the world. This is the reason Christians stress what Christmas is really about. It's why we declare loudly that Christmas is not about exchanging gifts. It's not about eggnog. It's not about Home Alone or any of the other stuff we hear about childlike wonder or festivities or whatever. And those things are fine. It's not bad to celebrate and to enjoy those things. But those things can't displace the actual meaning of Christmas. Christmas is about God and what God willingly and lovingly chose to do for me and for you and for the world. In the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 10, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, St. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And in 1 Peter 1, Peter says, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. One last point in closing. When the shepherds heard the good news from the angels, it says that they quickly hurried off to go see this thing. They believed. And after they found Jesus, they glorified and praised God, and then it says they went out and spread the word and told everybody that they knew. So for us today, in addition to seeing their significance of revealing Christ's role as the perfect Lamb of God, we also have an example set by them. Two opportunities. For anyone present who has never believed the good news that the angels announced, for someone who's never come to believe in the newborn King and His role as our Savior and His Lordship, today you have the free opportunity and invitation to believe on Him for the first time. And the Bible says that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life and will be made a child of God. And then for anyone present here who has believed the good news, our opportunity, like the shepherds, is to take what we've seen, to spread the word to everyone else that we know, and then to continually praise God and glorify Him for it. Let's pray.
Oh God, we thank you that in your glory you announced the birth of your Son. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his mercy. Thank you for his life. Thank you that he died on the cross for us. And thank you that he is alive forever to be our Lord and to be the Savior. Help us to go from this place with the the true joy of Christmas in our hearts and in our lives and to carry it for the rest of the year. Help us to spread the word just like those shepherds did. We thank you. We love you. We adore you. Amen.